I want to read uh, with you from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. Would you stand with me as we read the word? You know, Pastor Derek likes to keep you guys going up and down, so it's, it's the only exercise you're going to get today. Here we go. Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 through 9. It says, now, this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Father, we come to you today, Lord God, and we open our minds, our hearts to you, to your word. We want to be filled with you and everything that you have for us. We pray, God, that you would sort through our thoughts, that you would help us, God, to rid ourselves of philosophies and things that are not of you, that we would cling to you, we would learn of you, we would taste and see that you're good. We trust you, Father. We worship you today in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Please have a seat. So I want to talk to you a little bit about the book of Deuteronomy. You guys know it's the fifth book in the Old Testament, part of the Pentateuch, the last book of the Torah, right? And Deuteronomy means literally the second law. And this was a re-giving or a recap of the law that was given in Exodus. You guys remember that the, the children of Israel went through the wilderness and they died there. It was only the young, the children, that ended up going into the promised land. And so at the time of this telling, Moses is starting to teach five sermons or five messages to the children of Israel. This is in the middle of the first one. And God begins this second law, this second telling of the law. And there's a reason why. You see, these are the children of the people that went through the wilderness And there's this effort to make sure that they know what God's law is, that they know his words, that they know his statutes. Why? Because they're about to go into the promised land. And while there's a promise in the promised land of prosperity, a land of milk and honey, and we're going to read about that in a moment, there's also the fact that they're going to be going in and they're going to be at war with certain people that will depossess the land, and they are pantheists, they're idolaters, they're pagans, and God wants these younger people, the Jews, the children of Israel who are going into the promised land, to hear the law again, to know it, 
so that they can live by it, so that it would be part of their life. And why is that important? Because there's a tendency for people to get farther and farther away from righteousness and to embrace our, our sinful humanity. And this is what I want to, this is what I mean. Nobody has to teach our children to rebel. That's something that the sin nature, you know, it's innate. And there's this tendency to naturally do that. You've probably experienced it with your children. You've experienced it in your own life. And so this effort of telling the word is to be a reminder to the children of Israel not to go down that path, but to cling to God. In other words, you're going into a pagan culture. You don't become like the culture. Instead, you retain what God has said to you. You take on that culture. You learn of God and, and you live by that. And that was the purpose for what Moses is telling them. So Moses is on the east side of the Jordan River. The younger generation is about to go into the promised land. And we read in Deuteronomy this theme of obedience. Listen to God and obey his word. I don't know if you realize that other countries, even in today's society, uh, they've become post-Christian. I think of England. I don't know if you guys realize that it, in, in one generation, England went from being a godly or Christian type of nation into being post-Christian in one generation. And it happened right around the time of World War II. And, and now uh, churches are uh, been changed into mosques and churches are used for flea markets and antique shops. And I, I look at the U.S. sometimes and I think, now I know God is sovereign and I know that there's a plan and, and I love that I can trust him with that. But I wonder about our generation and the next generation and the generation after that. I wonder which side that generation is going to fall on. Are we going to see Christianity thrive? Or are we going to see, continue to see a decline? And what's our role in that? What's our future? What's the future of your family? What's the future of your church? What's the future of your country? The truth is, is that we're called to leave a legacy as parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles, brothers and sisters. We're called to leave a godly heritage or legacy. And so it means that it matters how we live and it matters how we train our family Let's look at the first verse. It says, now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess. So there's a commandment. We're going to talk about what that commandment is in a moment. And it says that you must obey in the land that you're entering. In other words, you're going to go in, you're going to be tempted not to obey that the natural thing will be to go to the flesh, but instead press in and obey God's word. 
Take the culture and the understanding that you have from God's house and move it into the culture, not the other way around. Verse 2, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it says, keep this law. Fear the Lord means to deeply reverence and devote your life to him, to recognize his greatness over your own. And it mentions your son and your grandson. That's what it's saying from the youngest to the oldest, from the oldest to the youngest, every generation should obey me, should obey my law. It's a multi-generational command. And why? So he can take away all of our fun? No, it says right there why we obey God. So you can have a long and prosperous life, that it may be well with you. So the commandments of God are for our benefit, for our protection. They're not to keep us from having fun. They're not just because God's bigger than us and he can tell us what to do. It's for our benefit. He desires them to enter a land flowing with milk and honey. What is that talking about? It's talking about prosperity. It's talking about livestock, the milk. And honey talks about the fruit or the produce of the land. So God is saying, if you obey me, I will take care of you. I will take care of you. That's a good thing. You know, I, sometimes you hear Christians say that God doesn't want them to be happy. He wants them to be joyful in the midst of persecution or struggle. Then that's true. God does want us to be joyful. But God also does want us to be happy. Now, don't shut me out. Just listen for a second. It says, blessed is the man. That means happy. That's what it means. Happy is the man who what? Who follows the will of God. Who is in the will of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. See, it's, it's not that, that you're not supposed to be happy. It's, that it's all about what makes you happy. If what makes you happy is just gain, if what makes you happy is hurting other people, if what makes you happy is selfishness, God doesn't want that. But what does God want? God wants you to follow him. He wants you to live a life dedicated to him, and he wants to provide your needs. So we're not talking about getting wealth for the sake of wealth. We're talking about God desiring to bless his people as we obey him. I assume that everybody here today had a breakfast or could have had breakfast. Everybody here today, I hope, was warm or cool, whichever you wanted, last night when you slept. God is watching over you. You know that phrase, uh, a land flowing with milk and honey? I used to think that was so gross when I was a kid. I would, I'm flowing with milk. That's nasty. That's what happens when it gets hot. You know, it's flowing with cottage cheese. Ew. But I, I realized soon that it meant livestock and, and, and that honey is not even the honey made from bees. It's, it's the nectar made from uh, fruit, like the syrups 
of fruit. So it is talking about how God provides for us in a, in a very natural and wholesome way. God desires that we know his word. And it's so obvious from this passage. He wants us to know his statutes, to know his commands, to know what makes him tick. The, the Bible is like a love letter from God. Yes, it's historical. Yes, you know, you can go back and you can check facts and all that stuff and you'll never be disappointed. But there's so much more to it than just that. It is a, a living thing that we read that, that transforms our life. And um, I love in John 15 where it talks about God abiding in us and we are abiding in him. And he says, if my word abides in you, to abide, God's word, what does that mean? It means to dwell. But it means even more than dwell. It means to settle in, to be comforted by. Uh, when we lived in New Hampshire, uh, it snowed a lot. And the first snow is beautiful. How many of you like, like the snow? Lift your hand if you like the snow. All right. Well, the first, how many of you have never been to snow? Anybody never been in the snow? Okay, just checking. Um, well, the snow is beautiful. That first snow is so amazing. You know, everything is so pristine and it's completely silent. And it's just beautiful and amazing. But after like the third month of snow... Not quite as amazing. But it, what's so cool about it is, like, if you're sitting in a cabin and there's a roaring fireplace, and I'm not talking about a gas fireplace. That doesn't count. I'm talking about you can smell the wood burning. You can hear it popping. And you're sitting in a big overstuffed chair, and you look out the window, and it's snowing, and you're in front of that fire, and you have settled in. You have your feet up. Maybe you have a quilt. It's cozy. And, and that's what it means to dwell, to abide, to settle in to the goodness of God. And he desires that we would feel that blanketing of him as we know his word. The word has an amazing place in our lives. It's actually supposed to dominate every area of our life. So everything we do should be informed by this book. The way we think, the way we talk, the way we treat our wife, the way she treats us, the way we treat our children, the way we finance things, the way we move about at our work and in our community. Everything should be informed by the Word of God. We're not supposed to compartmentalize. We're not supposed to just act good on Sunday Right? And try to look like we believe this thing. But it's supposed to be in us. And we are in him. And so how can we live by it if we don't know it? And I'm just being honest with you. We can act like we know it. Recently I heard somebody teach. And there was a lot of Christian phrases in there. But there was no substance to what I was hearing. And there was no, like, sense of God speaking. So I'm not talking about Christianese, and I'm not talking about common cultural phrases. I'm talking about the Word of God. It should be more important than our philosophy, more important than money, 
fame, or recognition. More important than sports, more important than shopping, more important than any teacher or pastor, more important than the name of your church, more important than the politics, more important than even your family is the word of God. And until it dominates every thought and breath, then we're not really going to be living by it. There's a ton of verses about the importance of God's word, and I just pulled out a few here. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Ephesians 6.17 says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And I love this verse said by Jesus in John 17, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. That's the truth that we need in a world where truth has become optional. This is truth. Something for us to firmly stand on and believe and base our life on. Verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, the Jews, the Jewish people, call this the Shema. And it is a prayer, a scripture taken as prayer that they wear in phylacteries. We'll talk more about that in a moment. And they say this prayer in the morning and at night, either in front of the Western Wall or somewhere in their house, like their prayer closet. And the Shema comes from the word hear, which is the first word of the verse. It means to hear, yes, but also to understand. To hear and understand causing you to act. So what it's saying is, I hear you, God, and I understand. And then it goes on that verse to say, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, the problem is, is that practicing Jews who have not received Christ as a personal Savior... They believe that Jesus is not God. They don't doubt that he existed. They know he did. They don't doubt that he was a prophet or a rabbi. They know that he was. But what they do doubt is that he was God. And why do they doubt? Because of this verse. It says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Therefore, if the Lord is one, that means that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are not God. The problem is, in the translation of this, it says just the opposite. The Lord our God, the word for God there is Elohim. El means God, but when you add an I-M on the end, it becomes a plural. The Lord is plural God, one God, but more than one. And then it says the Lord is one, and it uses the word Echad, which means one in unity. Here's another place it was used in Scripture. Echad 
means the two shall become one flesh. Talking about husband and wife. The two shall become one. It's not saying those two people are morphed into one power ranger. That's not what it's talking about. It's saying those two people, even though they are two, have become one spiritually. So you see, echad means a unity of one. If he didn't mean that, he would have used the word yahid, which means singular, undivisible, or indivisible. So we see here that it absolutely points towards the Trinity. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God, multiple, the Lord is one, one in three, right? The triunity, God in three persons. And it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's your emotion, the emotional seat of your being. With all your soul, which is your mind, intellect, and will. And with all your strength, which is your physical being. What is it saying? It's saying that you need to love God with everything you are. Everything. We're not compartmentalizing again. We're not going to do that. We're not going to pretend that, that we are... Um, you know, we're spiritual because we come to church, but we can do what we want with our body because a man's got needs. No. That's not true. It's not true because all of us is supposed to love God. Everything about us. So this Shema, the, the practicing Jews pray it at morning and at night not realizing that it points to the Trinity, not being willing to receive that concept. And I want to tell you that it's even more obvious in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Listen to this. It says, Then God, Elohim, plural, God, said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Who was God talking to? Was, he, was it rhetorical? Was God talking to the angels? No, because the angels aren't God. They're created. Created by God. There's only one uncreated creator, and that is God, the triune God, God in three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And look, that is answered in verse 27. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. So God is speaking to the Godhead, to the Spirit, and to the Son, saying, we will make man and woman in our image. Look at verse 6 of Deuteronomy 6. It says, and these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Okay, what command is he talking about here? What I command you today. He's talking back about verse 5, about the Shema. He's talking about that, but he's also talking about the commands, all of his commands, his statutes. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Do you remember that Jesus affirmed the Shema? Do you remember that? When the scribes came to him and said, what's the, 
greatest commandment, and he said, the Shema. You must love the Lord your God. And then he added, and your neighbor is yourself. All of the law and the prophet rests on this. So Jesus affirmed this passage of scripture. The command was that all of the commandments basically rely upon or rest upon that we love God and that we love others. So with everything we are, emotionally, intellectually, and physically, we're to love God. How are we to love God? Diligently. That's what it says. Diligently. That's how we're to teach about loving God. Did you catch that? Back in verse 7, it says, You shall teach them diligently to your children. How many of you have ever taught a child anything? Raise your hand. You ever done that? How many of you have taught a child to tie their shoes? How many times you have to show them? How many times you got to tell them? All right, listen. Anything you teach a child must be done diligently. That's just the long and short of it. And sometimes we think, man, when we're teaching about God, when we're talking about God, that we're going to nag them or that we're, it's too much, you know, it's too often. I don't think so. I think as we train children, even as we train adults, there need to be reminders. We need to find new ways to teach old lessons. We need to teach diligently. I'm not talking about beating people over the head. I'm saying teach diligently. That repetition matters. We know that even in education, that that's the way that people learn. That's why there's such a thing as homework. Because it builds those neural pathways in the brain when they see it, hear it, speak it, do it. You know, what's interesting is sometimes we'll go we will stay on a kid to learn how to do the dishes. You know, they will stay on them to learn how to do the dishes and make sure you rinse it off before you put it in the dishwasher, you know. And you stay on them and you'll tell them a hundred times, but when it comes time to teach them something about God, you tell them once and just expect them to pick it up. We start to think that they can get it at church. They can get it at Christian school. The truth is, is that it's the parent's job it's a grandparent's job to train their children. Everything else is just icing, you know, it's reinforcing what they're uh, supposed to be learning. And when should we teach it? Always. Always. Not just in sermons, not in lectures, not just in family devotional time. How many of you do a family devotion with your chil children or your grandchildren? Anybody? Good. Family devotions are, are, are amazing. I know a lot of parents who just feel guilty, though, because they feel like well, their kids hate the devotional or it's boring or they feel like, man, they've, they've dropped the ball too many times or they forgot about it or, or whatever, and they start feeling this sense of guilt because, you know, somebody's disobeying at school, but I haven't done the devotional in three days, so it must be my fault. And I want to tell you that, that it's not just the Devo. The truth is, is there's a thousand different pieces that come together to train our children. And the Devo is one part of that. Don't grow weary in well-doing. 
But I also want to tell you that the success of your child being trained spiritually is not just on your shoulders. Isn't that amazing? That God sees them and he answers prayer. God sees your child and he answers prayer. He sees your grandchildren. He sees your adult children. And God still answers prayer. It's not just about what we do. It's really about, or not just about what we say. It's about what we do. It's about real life. And uh, you can say all kinds of nice things at church. But if you are acting like the devil the rest of the time, your children see that. And they're smart. They're smart. I'm not talking about being perfect. I'm talking about being real. So when you fail, you apologize. How much better is it for a child to see their grandma or grandpa or mother or father when they make a mistake to repent to the Lord and then ask for forgiveness from them? That is so much better than trying to be perfect and then pridefully refusing to admit you're wrong. Remember, you are modeling healthy spiritual adult behavior for your children and even for your adult children. We're to model that healthy adult behavior. And when we mess up, because we will, we need to be real. Notice that passage says that we're to teach them when we sit down, when we walk along the way, when we lie down and when we rise up. What does that mean? It's talking about all the time. Just all the time. It's who we are. It's how we live our lives. God's word has filled us, and we want to live our lives worshiping him and glorifying him. We teach more to our kids in everyday life by example than we ever do from pre-planned lectures or from Christian t-shirts, from bumper stickers or cross tattoos. Nothing wrong with those things. But it's what we say and what we do that teaches the loudest. Do you remember when you were a kid? Did your parent ever say to you, do as I say, not as I do? How did that go over? Not well. Not well. How do you interact with people around you, with your family, with your friends, with your coworkers, with people on the road or at the store, for those who cut you off in traffic, those people who come to your door and want to sell you something or change you to their religion? How do you handle them? Verse 8 says, You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now this is interesting because the Jewish people, uh, you know, my, my heritage, part of my family was Hebrew. And so I, I remember my grandpa, or stories about my grandpa, he had a phylactery. You know what a phylactery is? It's the little a square thing that you put up here on the top. Of, by your hair and inside of it, or your lack of hair, um, you have a Shema, which is the prayer that we talked about, the Lord, God is one, and then the, how we're to love him. And that phylactery is right there. It's to be a frontlet before your eyes. So they took it very literally. And then there's also the mezuzah, 
which is, talks about the doorpost. You guys know what a mezuzah is? It's a little rectangular metal thing that goes on the doorpost of your house. And when you exit your house, you kiss it like that. And you walk out and inside of that mezuzah is the Shema. And what are you saying? You're saying, as you exit that house, you're saying, I'm leaving the safety and the peace of my godly dwelling, and I'm going out into the world. And when you come back in, it's the same thing. You kiss the mezuzah, and you say, I'm coming back into the place of shalom. I'm coming back to the peace of my house. And that's a great uh, literal translation, and there's nothing wrong with doing that, but I think it means so much more than that. I think that it wasn't meant just to be before their eyes. That, that's a reminder. God is saying, I'm reminding you of who you are. But you have to remember in the New Testament uh, church, the New Testament church, right, we have God's word, but we also have the Holy Spirit living within us. We're to be reminded at all times his presence is in us, and we're carrying that presence with us. The idea of only having something as a reminder right here or on your doorpost reminds me of in Scripture where God told them to circumcise their bodies, told the men to circumcise their bodies as a sign of a covenant with him. And that was fine that they circumcised their body, but later he said, you should have circumcised your heart, your spiritual heart. Because yes, you have a sign on your body that you belong to me, but your hearts are far from me. So the reminders are good, but you have to understand that they are there to represent something that is supposed to be happening on the inside of us. And that is that you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that you've received him as your personal Lord and Savior, that you've given yourself to him, you've asked him for forgiveness, and you said, I don't want to do it my way anymore, God. I recognize my need for you. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of my sin, and I need you desperately. And we've given ourselves to him, and now we're supposed to know this word. He begins to change us, and we live by this word with all of our heart, our soul, and our body every day of our lives. That is the goal. When I think of moms, I, you know, today's Mother's Day, and I was led to this passage, I believe. I was thinking about how my mom who's in heaven now, uh, really did her best to point me to Jesus. She wasn't perfect. She, she was not perfect. But she was perfect to me. I love my mom. Yeah. And I will tell you this, that she left a legacy. She left a legacy of needing Christ and, and, and living for him, even though she lived with an alcoholic, abusive husband, she did her best to point her six kids to Jesus. And I think to myself, you know, today is a happy day, like Mother's Day is happy, but I don't get to be with my mom because she's in heaven. She's better there than she is here anyway, but... But I think to myself, I, when this morning I was praying and spending time with the Lord, and I just said, Happy Mother's Day, Mom. And she didn't say anything. 
<laughs> Just kidding. Uh, and I know that. I know she's not there listening to me. And every time it's her birthday, I say, happy birthday, mom. And I know she's not there. She's in heaven. She's celebrating. She's living her life. But she made an impact in my life. And you know, even though she died in 1996, when something happens in my life, I still want to call her and say, mom, you never know what, guess what happened? And I can't. But I wouldn't want her to come back to this earth anyway. She's happy there. But sometimes, even though mom's days are supposed to be celebration, for some people, it's a little bit rocky. Sometimes the relationship with their mom wasn't what they had hoped it would be. Or sometimes there was abuse in the home. And sometimes there's just things that are unsettled in us. But I want you to know that God is so good. His word says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. If you need comfort today, receive that comfort. Receive the comfort from God and know that he is still a miracle working God. He is a miracle-working God. He is still in the business of restoring lives. I, um, I've read lots of studies about the importance of dads in the home, and it is important. I think it's my beard is making it scratchy. <clears throat> The, uh, I know that you know, dads are important to the physical health, spiritual health, emotional health, and development in a home. And dads, don't think you're not important because you are. Yep. We never really celebrate Father's Day like we do Mom's Day. You know, Father's Day, it's like, you know, mom gets all kinds of cool presents, take her out to dinner and everything, and your dad gets like a, a mug, yeah. <laughs> and it's okay. It's all right, because it should be that moms get more honor. And you know why? Because they, I believe that their, their influence on a child's life is just unparalleled. There is a, a song, it's an old song, and the lyrics are, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. And, and I believe that that is so often true because think of the influence that you have, moms, or that you will have someday to be moms over the children and what they will do and whether or not they will serve God and what they even think of God. The experience that they've had with you with forgiveness and mercy and encouragement and discipline and, and just the impact that that makes on a life. There's a legacy that you're leaving, a legacy of family culture that's important, of respect for God that's important, of respect for authority that's important. But the most important thing, moms, that you can leave is you can leave them knowing that you loved Jesus Christ, that he's the most important thing in your life. And lead them to Jesus. Point them to Jesus. I tell you what, it doesn't matter if they're a doctor. It doesn't matter how, how wealthy they are or if they get married and have kids or where they live. If they're following Jesus, you are a success. You have succeeded as a parent. And if they have not yet embraced Christ, then you need to be on your knees 
praying, believing. It's not too late. Whenever I, there's a day like this or something, I, I almost always think about the things I could have done better. It's just the way I am. And maybe you're sitting there today thinking, man, I wish I would have done this or wish that would have happened. I want to tell you right now that God really wants you to be released from self-condemnation, released and forgiven, right? No guilt. You can't go back and change anything, but you can right now today begin to trust and believe in God's ability to touch and heal your family. You can believe and pray and know that that is a possibility that God, his arm is not short that he cannot save, the word says. You can cling to God, cling to him, change the way you talk about your family, change the way you think about yourself. Let him transform that part of you. Remember, there's so much more than just what you say or what you've done that brings the puzzle together of your children's lives. God is faithful. He's faithful to you, to your children, to your grandchildren, and for you younger folks, to the children you have not yet even had. God is faithful. I want to encourage us to be real with our kids, to show them what it's like to be a human who believes in Jesus, who's loved by God and is being transformed on a daily basis and forgiven. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. Say, I'm a jar of clay. To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. You see, it's really not about us in the end. It's about Jesus. It's about God. It's about us being transformed by him so that we can love and grant mercy. That we can hold the line where we need to hold the line. It's all about God and his work. God wants to use all of us. Moms, dads, aunts, uncles, grandmas and grandpas, brothers and sisters. To share his love and to be an example of his grace and mercy. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We praise you, God. You are amazing. Thank you for loving us. Thank you that even though We are sinners that you love us. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die on the cross so that we can have new life and forgiveness. If we will only trust you, if we will lay ourselves down and give ourselves to you, I thank you, Father. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to ask you this morning if there's anyone here who has never put their faith and trust in Jesus. You've never done that. You've been trying to do everything on your own and you realize that you need God. You need his forgiveness. You need his presence in your life. 
I would love to pray with you. So I'm going to ask you right now just to lift up your hand. If that's you, lift up your hand so I can see it. I see your hand. Is there anyone else? I see your hand. Is there anyone else? I see your hand. Anybody else say, Pastor Jim, I need prayer. I need prayer. I want Jesus in my life. I'm going to ask the follow-up team to come up here. And we're going to pray. And if you raised your hand to receive Christ, I'm just going to ask you just to walk up here and let them pray with you. But I'm going to pray with you first. Father, I thank you for these that have raised their hand. I thank you, God, that you are in the business of transforming people's lives, that you love them so much. Christ was willing to go to the cross and die so that they could be restored and reconciled to you, God. Thank you for that. God, for these that have come forward, we pray that you'd fill them completely, God, to overflowing with your Holy Spirit. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.